Please remain standing as you're able. Um, when I was on the way to church this morning, I stopped for breakfast, which I sometimes do, which was a bag of peanuts and, uh, and some Diet Coke. So I go to pay and the lady says, well, that's not much of a breakfast. And I said, well, yeah. And she said, uh, what would your mother say about this? <laughs> well, as a minute ago, I was choking on peanuts. I realized that probably that woman and my mother were right. At any rate, I invite you, if you will, to join with me in following after likely the example of Jesus when he called this reciting the Shema or the Great Commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Today, this is Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, 8th chapter, beginning in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received was not a spirit of slavery where you would fall again uh, back into fear. But you received a spirit of adoption into sonship. By him we cry, Abba. Father, And it is his spirit testifying with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we share in his sufferings, we shall also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some of you may remember the name John Nash, who some years ago won the Nobel Prize in economics. Uh, John was diagnosed a paranoid schizophrenic, and he heard voices and even saw people. Uh, the movie A Beautiful Mind was loosely based on the life of, of John Nash. Uh, and one of the interesting things, though, he is uh, reported to have said is this. He said, we all hear voices. The question is, which ones will we listen to? So this morning, I want to talk with you about two voices that I know battle from time to time in, in my life. And I want to talk to you about what those two voices are and then how we can learn to recognize which is the right voice to listen to and, and how we can practice listening to it. The two voices, from my estimation, are first of all what Brene Brown, a researcher at the University of Houston, would call a shame voice. A voice that tells you you're not really good enough. You're not really valuable. You're not really lovable. You're not up to the situation. Nobody really cares. Uh, no one trusts you. There's no one you can trust. You are in this world, in a sense, without a home. And you recognize that voice, that voice of shame, because usually it'll take the tone of condemnation. And usually my shame voice will talk to me in ways that I would never talk to another person. And in fact, if I was uh, friends with another person and they talked to me the way my shame voice talked to me, we wouldn't be friends very long. And yet, for some reason, I allow that shame voice to stay with me and be alongside me most every day. You recognize it by its condemn, uh, condemning nature, uh, where it eventually leads, if I'm to trust Paul in this matter, and I think I do. 
And it eventually leads back into slavery or what we might call an atmosphere of fear and oppression like we understood uh, Egypt was like. Anytime you bring up the word slavery in the New Testament, one of the things you're supposed to think about immediately is the experience of the Israelites in Egypt. And they lived in a place of, of great oppression and uh, they lived in a place that was ruled by fear. What we've come to understand, though, in recent years is that fear and oppression ran from the Pharaoh all the way down through the system because the Pharaoh uh, was responsible for making the sun come up every morning. And the Pharaoh was responsible for the annual flooding of the Nile so your, your uh, uh, crops could be irrigated and, 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 they could, and they could grow. And the Pharaoh believed he had to carry out certain rituals perfectly in certain ways for these things to happen. That's a lot of pressure. And apparently the way the system ran is Pharaoh feels this pressure, and so he puts the pressure under his advisors, who put the pressure on the people under them, who put the pressure under the people under them, who eventually put the pressure on the overseers, who put the oppression on the taskmasters, who put the fear and the oppression into the Israelites' slaves. And it's, it's a land where fear and oppression and condemnation rule all the way down through the system. And when we listen to our shame voice, we basically walk into that situation that we're not good enough and that we're only going to survive if we can, we can do what our masters want so they will deem us worthwhile enough to go on another day. When, when you live in a system of oppression as a slave in Egypt, literally or metaphorically, the end result is this. You end up in a whirlwind of activity. Trying to do as much as you can to please people, both whom you know well and those who you don't, so that they will think positively about you. And so for a moment, maybe you can quiet the voice of shame and you can say, well, see there, I accomplished something. I must be worthwhile. And so the life that that listens to a shame voice ends up to be a a life of relentless activity. The late Henry Nouwen put it this way. He says, when we live in fear and insecurity, he says, we become acolytes to society. Now, not acolytes like here on Sunday morning helping us and at the direction of the parents and uh, trying to serve and make us have, uh, help us have communion in orderly fashion. Acolytes to society are those who will let society tell them what to do and what to, bela- uh, what to believe. You're always taking an opinion poll before you act. How will this I'll register with other people. Will they like me? Will I be approved of? That's an acolyte in now and sense of the phrase. And it's a, it's a busy, busy life trying to uh, manipulate your image so other people will like you. You're constantly, constantly engaged in not what you're called to do and what you were meant to do, but by what other people think you should be doing. And when you listen to your same voice, you end up in this whirlwind of trying to please other people. And the end result, the, the end result is not good. And so we need to stop for a moment and realize if all that is true, then the source of that voice that tells you you are not good, you are not lovable, you are not valuable, you can't handle this situation, a voice that tells you that is clearly not going to be the voice of God. It might be your own voice, the voice of your past experience, could be the voice of well-meaning people, could be the voice of the evil one. But if it tells you you're not good enough and you're not valuable or worthy, it is not the voice of God. So you're probably not surprised that then the other voice is not going to be the voice of shame. There's a different voice to listen to. And this voice tells you that you are loved, that you are worthy, that you are valuable, that you are not without a home and a place. This is a voice not of shame, 
but of acceptance and, and self-acceptance. And so you don't have to prove yourself uh, to someone else to know that you are valuable or loved. And you'll recognize this voice because it's going to be a much kinder voice. It's not going to be a voice of accusation or a voice that says, prove it to me. It's going to be a voice uh, of gentleness, a voice of what we might call self-compassion. A while back, I was reading a psychologist who talked about how we spent now the last few decades on trying to build up everyone's self-esteem. And that's a good thing in many ways. But now we're, we have unintended consequences of teaching people that they're the center of the universe and everything revolves around them. Uh, and, and she said it might be more helpful than self-esteem would be what she called self-compassion. And so when you find out you're not perfect and that you're not the greatest thing and the greatest gift to this planet, that you're still okay. And that you deal even with your failures or the failures of other people towards you in compassionate ways. And, and she said self-compassion would be a lot more valuable probably even than self-esteem in our day. And the voice of acceptance is a voice of self-compassion. Uh, it talks to you in ways that are kind and gentle and reminds you that we do all make mistakes and other people make mistakes as well. This is a voice that leads you not to Egypt and slavery, but leads you to freedom and the promised land. Again, when you, when you think in biblical analogies, if you've got Egypt on one hand and slavery, then on the other hand, where did they go when they got out of slavery? They went to the promised Land. And so there's a promised land where you are able to live confidently knowing that you are loved, uh, that you're able to do things simply because they're right, not because it's what other people think that you ought to do. I read a line that the late Dallas Willard wrote before his death that helped me this week. It said this, that we must lovingly allow other people to think what they want about us. We must lovingly allow other people to think whatever they want about us. And so we're no longer like slaves trying to manipulate public opinion or opinion of other people, but rather soaking in the fact that the one whose opinion matters most loves us and cares about us. And, and so with that, we can let the other opinions in the world take their sort of rightful place uh, in, in the grand scheme of things. And when you start to live that way, you start to become more free. You begin in some ways to inherit the promised land. And as you know, one of the ways the Bible talks about the promised land is heaven itself. And, and one of the issues I have with modern day Christianity is we always think of heaven as someplace far off and, and way out there. And, and, and heaven only comes into play when I die. Uh, now, there's some truth to that. But biblically, there's a couple other things you need to know about heaven. Number one is that heaven is a place that we create as well. As we work with God's spirit and we love ourselves and we love other people and we act, we love creation. We act in those kinds of ways that, that build bridges uh, and, uh, and connect people. When we do that, we're, we're, we're participating in creating heaven. And the other thing is this, that we can actually live in heaven right now. Jesus said, this is eternal life to know me and the father who sent me. He was saying, you don't have to wait till you die to live in the assurance that you are loved and you are valued. You can start in the, in the words of John, of Charles Wesley's hymn, you can begin to own heaven now. You can begin to live now the experience of heaven because you're not worried about everybody and trying to keep them all happy because the one who matters most is already happy with you. So that's a voice, uh, not of condemnation, uh, but a voice of encouragement 
that leads uh, to uh, both to a promised land and also results in restful activity as opposed to a whirlwind of busyness. Uh, we're going to talk about this next Sunday, but Jesus said this, Come unto me, those of you who are weary and, and you're heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He is referring back to Jeremiah, the sixth chapter, where the prophet said, Look, stand at the crossroads and look for the good way or the ancient good way and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Basically, I think if Paul were to pick up that verse, he'd say, look, there are two ways. We stand at the crossroads and you say, this is the way of shame and always trying to work for everyone to be happy. And this is the way of acceptance to work in, as one who's already loved and valued by God. And he would say one of those ways you can take is going to lead to a lot of things. The other way will lead to rest for your souls. And I think that's where Jesus is calling us. And all in all, I think it's a much better deal to listen to a voice of acceptance as opposed to a voice of shame. However, it's not always that easy. I remember reading a guy some years ago who said, it is easier for us to believe that God exists than to believe that the God who exists loves us personally. And so even on our best days, it's hard to remember how valuable and loved we are. But what happens when our best days become our worst days? Did you notice how suffering showed up at the end of this passage today? We are co-heirs with Christ if we participate in his sufferings. And in the very next verse, which I didn't cover with you, but is perhaps well known to a number of you, Paul goes on to say this. And I consider, he says in verse 18, that the sufferings of this present day are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes or Watson to discover that what's going on here is the people in Rome are struggling. They're suffering, maybe. They're being persecuted. I, I don't know. But whatever's happening is they're suffering. And Paul apparently knows the more you suffer, the harder it is to accept and believe the fact that you are loved as you are. And the other voices sort of get turned up louder. The voices that say, do more. Please more. And then maybe you'll become lovable. It's harder to hear the voice of acceptance when things are struggling. And I know that because I go there, as, as I'm sure you do from time to time in my life. And well, here's what I want to do uh, this morning, uh, is just tell you three things that help me. Uh, when I go through that, that rough period where I can't quite hear God's voice of acceptance and the voice of shame seems to be screaming pretty loudly in my ear. I found three practices have really helped me. The first one is this, the practice of prayer and solitude, uh, trying to get alone with God, trying to get some time to where you can hear God's voice and not every other person's voice saying, do this, do this, do this, and then you'll be acceptable. But in solitude and with the scripture, I can get to a place where I'll hear the one voice that says, you are my son. Or you are my daughter. You are my child. To, to hear that voice. So the first thing that's helpful to me is, is some sense of prayer and solitude. Another practice that's helpful for me is just called, um, I call it just gaining perspective. When, when the voice of shame is so loud and when there's struggles going on in your world, not only will you hear the shame voice condemning you, but you will, you will hear the most ridiculous things and you will think they, were true, they are true. When you're in a bad place hearing the wrong voice, you will believe almost anything. 
And so one of the things that was helpful to me was to be able to uh, write down what I was hearing and show it to somebody else and say, does this make sense to you? And I call that gaining, um, gaining perspective. Brene Brown calls it when we're struggling and we're thinking all these terrible things. She said, write it out on a piece of paper. She called it a stinky first draft, only she didn't use the word stinky. I use that. Um, she used another word. But basically, you know, nobody loves me. Uh, I'll never have a friend again. We're going to be bankrupt. I'm going to be out on the street. My kids will hate me for this. You know, we, we run through all sorts of stuff. And, and one thing that helps is just to put it down. And in daylight, show it to somebody else that you trust and say, is this true? Does this make sense? You know, three months ago, I was in, in a very kind of rough patch uh, professionally. And so I sat down with a, a, a mentor, and uh, he was on the couch in my office. I was in the chair next to him, telling him, you know, I should quit or retire or find something else to do. This just isn't working. You know, there's not enough money in the bank. People don't seem very happy. I just, you know, I, I should like think of something else. And he looked at me and said, let me get this straight. You think you should quit being a pastor of this church and find a different job? And I said, yes. And he looked at me and he said, I'm worried about you. And he began to explain to me how this is not reality, but in my mind with those voices, it had become reality. I remember one, one evening I was coming up to church for a meeting and it, it felt like I was in junior high again. I don't, you probably never had this experience, but you called to the principal's office in junior high. Not a good thing. And I was like having that experience inside. And all of a sudden I got to the parking lot and I thought, wait a minute. This is a church. I'm the pastor. I'm the flipping principal. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, just kind of lost it there for a moment. So some perspective. Just to get perspective so you can hear clear in the voice. Last thing that's helpful to me, and I hate it, but it's my best piece of advice this morning, perseverance. I hated that. That was my star word, and I wanted to trade before I left the sanctuary. I couldn't get anybody to trade with me. Perseverance. But just the fact that just, you know, get up every day, one day at a time, give us this day our daily bread. And you say, today I'm going to live as if the voice of acceptance is true. In spite of everything else today, I'm just, just today I'm going to live as if that's true. And then I'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. I read a, a psychologist that was helpful in this. Uh, and the analogy the psychologist was using is of the Kraken. Everybody, anybody familiar with the Kraken from mythology? Anybody? Giant sea serpent. Uh, uh, anybody see the movie Clash of the Titans? Okay, you can save your money. It's okay. Um, but anyway, giant sea serpent who, who has got a really nasty attitude and can fly and breathe fire. This is not a good combination for the people of Earth. And so the kraken uh, uh, is going to devour this, uh, this you know, princess or whatever for there to be a sacrifice in, uh, in, 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 in the Clash of the Titans movie. But anyway, the analogy I thought was helpful. The person said that the way you handle a kraken is by turning a kraken into sushi one slice and bite at a time. That Take one step today. Get up today and say, I am the beloved. I am valuable. I'm worth it. And, and just today. I don't know about tomorrow, but for today I want to believe that. And then the next day comes and be, you begin to break the power of with the assistance of the Holy Spirit, 
of that mighty serpent's voice. Take one step today. Take one toward communion. And when you come to communion, hear the voice clearly that says, This is my body given for you. This is my blood shed for you. And then hear the voice whisper, Because you are worth it.